that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Well, hello and welcome back to Walk and Roll Live. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We appreciate that very, very much. I'm with my buddy Eric. How you doing, bud? What's shaking, guys? I'm Eric Giglar. I have cerebral palsy on my right side. I'm hard of hearing in my left ear, and I'm also a walking stick user. Cool. And I am a polio survivor. I uh, used crutches for years and years and years, <laughs> and then slowly transitioned over about a 20-year period into a wheelchair. Uh, and uh, here I sit today. And uh, thank you also to Aguiar Professional Training. Thank you for all their support uh, throughout last year and now continuing through 2024 we got the word so we're very excited about that uh so um we had a good week huh how was yours yeah, it was pretty pretty good i'm getting back into shape um growing in skill wise and you doug i'm good i'm good you're sounding healthier i know you were battling that cold for a while so good to hear and you yeah so i forgot you missed the last couple of weeks so good to have you back well, I was good for the first week because, um, like everybody else, I caught the uh, flu for about two weeks. It's been bouncing around my house because first my father-in-law to be had it, and then I started getting it, and then my uh, fiance who has autism started getting it, and then a week later her brother got it, aye, his aye. girlfriend got it. It's been going all over. And it got you. And oh, then last week you had three days. You were I was telling everybody you were doing you were doing trainings. And I know that some of them were disaster preparedness, but then there was some others, right? So tell us about that. Last uh, week for three days in Riverside, I was attending a course on cybersecurity for emergency center operations personnel. It basically indicates um, how cybersecurity plays a role in a uh, emergency operations center should it ever be activated. And as most of you know, I'm all I'm both a uh, virtual uh, teacher and student. And there will be times that. I'll be either pretending, of course, virtually or in person or teaching a lecture uh, during the daytime on the Zoom. Now, we still want to do, we, we were planning over the last couple of weeks maybe to do the disaster preparedness show with with Eric here. Uh, so we still want to do that. So we'll work that into our, even if it's just a special separate podcast from this one, we'll we'll, we'll get it done. But then also, um, uh, it, it we have another disaster preparedness thing that we, cause we had a nice meeting with possibilities yesterday and uh, tell them about uh, what we're going to do with that. You're, you're coming back to do your seminars. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back by popular demand for uh, a season ago. I was put on hiatus for Loma Linda possibilities. I'll be teaching a series of uh disaster preparedness training. The first one will be on the 28th. It's open to possibility members only. Unfortunately, it's going to indicate on how to prepare your uh, own personal kits in the event of a disaster and how to come up with your own emergency plan. Very a little nice. more on that later. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we talked about uh, getting the materials that you'll need, so you'll have those available. It'll be a hybrid that's going to be in person, and you can also join it on Zoom if you're a Possibilities member. I like to uh, – we talked with Cody yesterday. Cody Williams uh, is the executive director for Possibilities. And I meant to ask her that if it, if it would be open beyond that. Uh, but but then it, it, you could also join Possibilities and be eligible for this class as well. So that's another option that you have. But then also uh, some actual physical materials that we're going to be uh, handing out, like a, a, a disaster preparedness starter kit, right? Is that what we talked about? It's mainly a um, PDF um, emergency preparedness uh, checklist. It's more like, I call it like a treasure map or a scavenger hunt, if you will. It's a good way to practice on how to build your own kit. And then the other form is an emergency uh, plan. Like, um, it'll have like your phone number, your address, the name of your doctors, the medication, the allergies you may have, should something ever happen, uh, heaven forbid, things like that. And and meeting spots, right? You know, like a family meeting spot where everybody knows in a case of emergency, you go here, things like that. But I, I think there was also conversation about some kind of physical kit that, that we would be handing out. We're trying to secure those. So we'll stay tuned. We'll get you more details on that. Yeah. 
All right. So, uh, and then uh, the other thing that came out of the meeting is possibilities uh, offered to support our podcast, Walk and Roll Live. So there is going to be our own page within the possibilities page that will give you more information about what we're doing, how to get to the podcast, all of those things. So that's, that's very exciting to get that kind of support. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> so guess what I did this week? It's, it's, I've been working on this for a while. And, and finally, uh, I had the uh, folks from Mobility Professionals come out. Uh, they're in Southern California. And uh, they came out to the house and brought like three different new wheelchairs for me to check out and do a demo. And I settled on on one of them. So they took all the measurements, uh, measured me, measured uh, a couple of my older chairs to see. And then I kind of was dialing the di- in the different uh, uh, different features that I want. You know, it, it's after you've had a couple of chairs over 20 years, you you learn what works and what doesn't work so well for you. And you can and, and the manufacturers are all wonderful. They'll they dial these things. I have never been measured more for anything. It's like going to get a, a fine tailored suit for yourself. They measure every which way the, you know, the width of your hips and the length of your arms and all of these things uh, to make it fit you like a, better than a glove, really. It's so also uh, like getting a brand new car, because when it comes to getting a brand new car, you're not going to get the first car that you see. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. It may not be the, you know, you might not love everything about it, but once you go forward, then you know what you're looking for. So yeah, I definitely knew what I was looking for. So hopefully that will uh, be here in the next couple of months. It, it takes a while to put these things together. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, they. I didn't really realize the other one really needed work because I was calling in uh, to them for some help with my my older one, just an adjustment. And then they started talking about, well, are you ready for a new chair? And at first I said no. And then I, the more I thought about it and some of the things that are starting to kind of fall apart on the older ones, I was like, yeah, it's probably time. So I'm really glad I did because I, I definitely am ready. So looking forward to that. So today, uh, kind of a different topic. We are going to be talking with Grady Jennings, who is with the Dignity Group. And we're going to be talking about, uh, in in addition to other things, SNTs, which is a special needs trust and more financial planning for families with special needs children uh, as they're here. And then as adults, uh, the parents get older and, and pass on. You want to leave something behind to make sure that your your kids are taken care of. So uh, we're going to delve into that here in just a little bit here on Walk and Roll Live. We'll be right back, folks, and we will be handling this thing with dignity. Introducing Aguiar Professional Training, where we believe your greatest asset is your team. Investing in their development, knowledge, and happiness is crucial for the success and growth of your business. To reach new heights, you need to hire smart, talented individuals and empower them to work in their areas of strength and passion. At Aguiar Professional Training, we're dedicated to helping your employees become happier, more productive, and fulfilled because when your team thrives, your business thrives. We can help your workplace work better. We offer customized workshops and one-on-one coaching to help teams and leaders build trust and have better communication. We also offer strategic planning sessions, among other services. Elevate your team with Ugyar Professional Training. Well, welcome back to Walk and Roll Live. I am Doug. That is Eric. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing, guys? I'm Eric Giglar. All right. We're very excited about our guest today. Uh, this kind of dawned on me a few weeks ago as I'm looking for different guests to have on. And, he, you know, he's got to look right under my nose. Uh, Mr. Grady Jennings from Dignity Group. Now, uh, just a little history and a little, uh, you know, uh, to be transparent, I've known Grady for 10 years, something like that. Now we uh, have served on the board together at Anthesis, who we've talked a couple of times about on our podcast. And, uh, so, and, and he, and he also did my trust, my, uh, living trust, uh, a few years ago in his organization. So he, uh, he does those services as well, but w- for our, our purposes here on walk and roll live, our podcast, we want to talk about everything that impacts the disabled community. So that's kind of where this got started. I was uh, looking on your website and getting a little more background on, on yourself and how this all started. You had a son with special needs. and So tell us more about what was the inception for the, the organization? Well, the, the inception is Dignity Group really kind of started back in 1997. 
Um, it's just kind of a thing that I thought that we, you know, was important to families. Um, again, my I had a son who was born with Down syndrome, and my background comes out of the estate planning and the financial world. And I realized that, you know, again, ignoring my son's health issues and his um, education issues in this new world that we entered into with an individual who had special needs, I also realized at that point that whatever I was setting out to do for my family was going to possibly have a negative impact on my son based on traditional planning and traditional thinking. And so with that, you know, again, you're into all the alphabet soup of different agencies um, that you come along. And what I realized is that there was just not enough information or a lot of information at that point in time to really help families understand what I call the economic and legal aspects of having a child with special needs. Um, so, and again, different types of rules that kind of applied along the way. And so honestly, Doug, I didn't know if I was the only ignorant person out there. So my wife and I had gotten involved in the special needs community very early. Um, and so what we asked families that, you know, that we got to know is if they'd be willing to become our cadavers so mm -hmm. we could effectively, you know, see if this is kind of like, am I just the only one missing the boat or do people know about things? Do they not know about things? And at the time, again, you know, we were very, very young in our um, time frame with James. And so it was just kind of a learning curve. So what I did for five years was I, you know, basically realized that there was a much larger issue here of needing for empowerment of information, education, as it related to these things, but I also still had to learn a lot about it as well and trying to understand some of the dynamics of the social security system, understanding Medi-Cal, and again, even what's out there today compared to what was there in the very get-go. Are you tuning me out, Eric? Is that why you're putting your hands up there? Uh, no, 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 sir, I'm, answering, I'm answering a Texas while being on mute. Okay. I didn't know if you were trying to hide your face or try to hide your face from seeing well, me. Not at all, not at all, not at all sir. Yeah, continue. <laughs> so, so, so in 1997 is when we kind of decided that it was enough to take public, for, for lack of a better word. Hey, Eric, I like the other picture of you better. Um, is that your way that you can go to the bathroom and hide at the same time? Um, so, oh, no. I'm uh, no, sir, that's a much, that's much better a, face rather than some I'm a, photograph. I'm a, multi, a, multi, a friend yeah, of yours looks much better and younger than you. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that was younger. me in my high school and a senior year when I was 18. There you go. <laughs> um, so so basically, we just that's kind of how it, it got developed. And um, again, I also got involved right around the same time frame as when I also got involved with Anthesis that was known P with, as PVW at that point. And my, my, my theory for me was that at the time, my little guy was eight years old. And I wanted to get involved into, you know, what the adult community would be, um, you know, transforming into and trying to gear up for my son who was seven or eight years old knowing what the 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 working world may look like down the road so that was kind of some of my input and how i got involved with um and thesis and sitting on that board but at the same token then it also gave me that ability to start learning more about what was happening in the adult community as it related to the same things that i kind of faced as a young person uh, you know, with as as a young father with 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 a James in my world, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, um, in 2006 when my little guy was 16, um, my wife passed away at that point, and so then it became just him and I. Um, in 2009, unfortunately, he passed away as well. Um, but and that's where Dignity Group made kind of a transition because honestly, Doug, I didn't know if I wanted to stay inside the special needs community. And again, through conversations with people and a lot of soul searching, um, a friend of mine said, Grady, why don't you um, turn Digging Group into a nonprofit? You're good at what you do. And so that's when we then kind of worked the path down as Digging Group becoming a nonprofit, uh, which we did back in 2010. Um, so here we so are. Let me jump in here real quick. So I'm, sure. I'm, le I'm learning so much already. Um, it, it, but it, so 
you really hadn't gone and kind of finished that whole journey of discovery with your son and, and, and taking care of his needs before he passed. You were kind of in the middle of all that learning. Well, again, at, at, at my personal level, we had because my wife and I kind of started our path back in 1994 with some of the um, some of our planning, for lack of a better word. OK, um, but as it related to Dignity Group, you know, we saw families that were of all ages. Special needs doesn't have a doesn't have a bias. OK, and so. You know, again, with young, with our young families, where kids were prior to the age of 18, there were certain things that my son would have been entitled to, but I was the one who disqualified him, okay, mm-hmm. based on the, the world looking at my income and my assets. Well, listen, um, this, this is what I want you to cover, because, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get to it, because I'm, I'm coming into this, and I wanted to ask you about kind of estate planning for when parents pass on. And they leave their disabled adult children behind, so they're prepared for that. But I, right. you know, I'm, I'm just learning from what you're saying so far. There's so much more to it, and I'm wondering too if were there tools in place, or did you have to, you know, within whatever the financial planning community was, were there things that you could utilize to help well, your so, children? So, so to take to, to take, so let's let's take that real quick. So, for example. James at age eight, or when he was under the age of eighteen, he his disability said he would have been eligible for benefits from SSI. Okay, yeah. but with SSI, which is administered through the Social Security program, it's an income and asset based test. When he was under the age of eighteen, the system wanted to look at me to see how much money I made and how much money, or how much money I had. Okay, yeah. Yeah. resources. So even though James, in theory, qualified for benefits, I was the one who disqualified him for Social Security. Is that the way it still is today? It is still that way today today. for an individual who's under the age of 18. Now, once James reached age 18, Social Security no longer cared about how much money I made or how much money I had. Even though life's circumstances didn't change one bit. Correct. So because now he was an 18 year old. So now everything was measured on him and on his basis. And again, that was for the purpose of Social Security. Now, when his mom passed away when he was 16, he was able to get some benefits from regular Social Security because he was a link to her as just a 16 year old child. Okay, but when he reached age 18, we also had to reapply for James being a social or being what's called a disabled adult child because he was identified prior to the age of 22 and he was not married. So he was still able to draw a component based on her having passed away. But we now had to prove he was disabled at age 18 in order to get that. And again, the disability had to occur prior to the age of 22 in social security eyes. But because his regular Social Security from her was not that high, we were still able to go to SSI. So Social Security doesn't measure the income and the assets, but we still needed to get the balance of it from SSI. So for us, all of a lot of our families, again, every one of those families may have a child with special needs that qualifies, but moms and dads may disqualify them. So for our young families, what we're trying to do is gear them up for what happens at the age 18, okay, in trying to be prepared to become eligible for those benefits. Again, now move that clock along because let's say something had happened to me, then all of a sudden James would have now potentially inherited a bunch of these assets that would have disqualified him from that SSI window. The other critical component that was a lot more critical back then than what it is today was Medi-Cal. Now, in in the 1990s, there was something called the Medi-Cal waiver. And 
with the Medi-Cal waiver, we were able to get it because James was receiving vendored services from the regional center. And back then, and I actually found out about this through our caseworker, my son's caseworker, who said, you can also access Medi-Cal as long as James doesn't have any money in your name or in his name, and he's receiving vendored services from us, he can then become eligible for Medi-Cal, okay? So, and the Medi-Cal was very important because it was the school of, it was the health insurance of last resort to where insurance companies were not going to be insuring a kid with special needs with a 10-foot pole. Now, in today's world, that got all changed with Obamacare because now pre-existing conditions didn't mean anything to anybody, okay? And again, in today's world, Medi-Cal, up until this January, Medi-Cal in 2022 changed the asset limit to be $130,000 in order to be eligible for Medi-Cal. January 1 of this year, Medi-Cal says you can have effectively as much money as you want and still be able to get Medi-Cal. Now, having as much money as you want versus having income, because Medi-Cal still has an income test, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's still kind of a precarious thing. Well, if you own a home, it doesn't impact. But I'm sorry? If you own a home or all those kinds of things, or, or have again, a, a house, pension? A house is considered an exempt resource. Okay. okay? How, about, the, how about a pension? Again, the pension as a lump sum can be exempt, but if you're taking the income, that portion the income, of it so the, so the the retirement plan sitting there as an IRA can be exempt. If you're but you have to then all of a sudden if you're taking the income from it, now you've got the income that becomes a part of the equation. So okay, all right. <laughs> So you just so kinda, this whole thing is very complex. Oh, it it, it, it <laughs> no. Doug, it, there's so many different slivers and slices that what you realize is that even though my son was part of a generic system, meaning Social Security's in play, Medi-Cal's in play, regional centers in play, it really is not personal until it comes home. Yeah. So even with the aspect of what I call home okay you know again i had the comfort and the safety net for me that i knew with regional center my son was never going to be homeless okay and because again because of regional center i knew that i could sit back and again whether it's a supported living pro model whether it's a group home model whether it's an independent living model whether it's trying to provide services with my son staying in my home you know, the bottom line is that I knew I had that safety net of regional center being able to provide vendored services to be able to provide that luxury. So, but again, let's take it a different scenario. Let's say that house was now in James's name and he could no longer stay in that house. So what was an exempt asset all of a sudden, because now the house either needs to be sold or it's rented out, now that became an available resource. So if you were to pass and, and it became his, it, it, then it, directly it, by name. Okay. Yeah, okay. So this is why we try to take steps to protect that asset and why we use special type of trust planning and why the special need the world, you know, we use the word special needs trust, but again, you can take the world's the word special needs trust. And everybody's going to have a different definition of it or a definite. That's something we talk about all the time on this program is just, okay. just, just with disabilities in general. You know, it's even though your disability diagnosis might be the same as the next person, your needs, every person's needs are so individual. A absolutely. You know, absolutely. And then, now you throw the government into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and again, in the, in the, in the, in this, in the system, is not designed to create a lifestyle. Yeah. The system is designed to provide safety nets. All right. So that to me is where we have to kind of make the distinction. Now, in today's environment, that was it's a lot more prevalent today than what I was dealing with as I was dealing with son. 
is that with my son, but there's there's a program out there that you get linked to because of if you're on Medi-Cal and that's getting linked over to something called in-home support service. In-home support service is a tool that is allowing people to get paid for keeping that individual in their own home. Okay. So in-home support service is very, very major to the tune of where there can be up to 280 hours a month where somebody is getting paid to keep that individual in their home. So again, here's roughly, you know, an individual with special needs who's kind of creating their own $40,000 a year economy. And again, it's used differently, but the same token though, is that with the Medi-Cal side of it, it was still asset-based, okay? So, Again, up until this year, again, we up, up until just a couple of years ago, we had the cap of $2,000 that an individual could have and not worry about the Medi-Cal. And it was only in 20, 2017 because, again, let's say the house was in my own name and I was getting Medi-Cal. If I passed away and that went through probate, Medi-Cal could attach a lien on it. By having now in 2017, if I just had my house in trust, Medi-Cal can't claw back that property, okay? So again, each situation is gonna be very unique on how it winds up getting applied. So, but if all of a sudden now my son wound up losing his Medi-Cal, there went his link to losing that in-home support service. Now, if I was the parent provider, In me losing, it was really not that big of a deal because I'm going to do it because I was going to be taking care of my son. Okay. So there, the, the money was immaterial to me. Can, but can I ask, let, let me ask you, the in-home in support services, it can be a family member or it can be an correct. outside entity. Cor correct. Okay. Or an outside individual, whatever the case might be. Okay. okay. So, but for me... I know that I'm what I was doing as a father, I was doing indirectly as a labor of love. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take care of my son no matter what. But if I were to pass away tomorrow, nobody else is going to necessarily have that same labor of love. Right. Okay. So again, it kind of creates its own degree of dynamics. All right. Well, and it, and it, it seems like this is where it really becomes important. You know, for right. for parents that want to make sure that, especially well, once they pass on, that their child isn't taken advantage of, or or well, you know, have forbid out on the street. You know, well, and and Doug, I think you and I both know, and this is where you know, again, I try to talk to my families is that no matter what happens, we are at the risk of what we don't know. Okay, yeah. and the way I look at it is that I can't protect myself enough that if somebody wants to do bad, they're going to do bad. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I always used to sit back and say is that there was two things I couldn't protect my son from. I couldn't protect him from his own behaviors, nor could I protect him from the actions of somebody who wanted to do bad. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, and there's, there's just nothing I can do to solve that problem. There's nothing I can do now. When I have the money protected in, say, a protected tool, now I at least potentially have some eyes that are going to be make that preventative or discourage. But that's why I always like to create, you know, successors and, you know, backups to the successors and, you know, try to get as much in the way of checks and balances as I possibly can. So even can you though tell us, can you tell us how many you know, in that in that global universe of of families that have a disabled child, or maybe a disabled adult themselves, or how many are protecting themselves with all these tools that are available to them? Well, I would I would say to you that over the last twenty five years, I've probably been directly involved with at least fifteen hundred of them directly, where we've been involved in all the stages of. Do you have any idea what like percentage of that global universe would be? 
Doug, you know, the, the way I like to phrase it is that we know that Inland Regional Center, for example, has a population of close to 29 or 30,000 individuals that they're yeah. serving yep. in the San Bernardino Riverside County. If, if we were able to see, you know, 1% of that population, if we were able to see 10% of that population, but I know over the years, I know the amount of stuff that we've been involved with, you know, on a kind of an annual basis. And I would sit back and say that, you know, we have served at least 1,500 that, you know, we can sit back and say we've been a part of their estate planning process or, you know, and again, if we throw families that we've just helped them with social security issues or help them with some regional center issues or trying to help them with in-home support service. So it really, because then that number kind of explodes a little bit yeah. um, beyond that. Well, so I, what I'm trying to get at is, is if you have a sense of, I guess, you know, how, if, if people are prepared, you know, are, are majority of them are prepared so it, it, or, or people it, it, are even, I, not even I, really I, thinking I, about it or are they kicking the, that can down the road? Well, we, here's, here's the way I look at it is that, you know, keeping in mind here, we're doing a zoom meeting. All right. I used to do a lot of in-person seminars with support groups and things of that nature. A lot of those types of seminars have been kind of gone by the wayside since 2020. There's a lot more zooming going on, uh, which really what allows us to do this kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And, and so we would sit back and, you know, to use that example of, you know, we might do a seminar where there are 20 or 30 families there. Today, we might see five people attending. Um, we found that over the years, if we saw, you know, ex if we if we saw had 20 people attend a seminar, we kind of knew that we might see three or four of those people within the next six months because they were in a crisis mode of something at that point in time. We then knew that we would see another group of that same people, you know, within the next year to two or three years. I mean, we had one family go, hey, I saw you at a seminar that you did 20 years ago, and I'm finally ready to do something, okay? <laughs> yeah. So... So, and that's what I'm kind of trying to get a sense of, I think, you know, is, is do people, I, I guess, are they, are, are they, do they are wait they, for that? Do they wait for that crisis? I guess. I, 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 I wish they were a lot more proactive than they were reactive. And, you know, we got to the point where we were getting a lot of referrals, God, probably 10, 15 years ago from different agencies and organizations. And we, because we wound up dealing with so many where there was an ongoing immediate problem, we became pretty well at handling situations on a reactive basis. Yeah, you're putting out fires. Which is, yeah, which is just very, very difficult. But what it did was it gave us a lot of more broader experiences at trying to deal with issues and problems that we could then take those situations and try to help other families Before. maybe avoid those same types of mistakes. Gotcha. Okay. Now, can we maybe maybe speak to the benefits of doing it early rather than waiting for the well, crisis? Well, again, when you're set when you're when you're setting the table, you're prepared for what's happening in that moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one of our clients that he's been a part of our. Their family's been a part of our world for the last 24 years, okay? Now, keeping in mind, because I've now been doing it as long as I have, I like to sit back and say that, you know, our five-year-olds have become 25, our 25s have become 45, and our 45s have become 65. So we've seen this evolutionary process in the circle of life in, in families. So when James was only four years old, my daughters were young, okay? My people that I wanted to have involved in my son's life were who those people were at this point in time. You know, move the clock five years down the road from now, some of those people got excised. My daughters got a little bit more mature in some areas, a lot less mature in other areas. <laughs> um, so the world changed on us, okay? Sure, and it's sure. not because 
people changed. It's just our circle of influence changed. And again, because Joanna and I were both involved in the special needs community, we had a completely different support system get developed than what I've seen some of our families that say, we have nobody, we have nobody, you know, so it's very, very different. So we knew that there's that process of change. Well, you know, and I fully understand. I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm just, you know, was maybe trying to bring out the benefits that might kind of spur some people. Because I know when my my daughter was young and we kind of approached this, this same, you know, situation with, if, if in the event that we both go at the same time, where's my daughter going to go? Right. And, and it, we it, talked it, about that for the longest time and never resolved it. We never did come up with somebody and, right. and, and fill out and, any documents. And, and, and this is where we try to sit back and try to help families develop that. Who is that circle? You know, yeah. don't go to just the word family. Okay. Because one of the things that we realize is that, you know, you just made the statement of who was going to take care of your daughter. Okay. Meaning where was she going to go live to me that where a person's living is going to be a byproduct of a decision. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What we're always looking for is who's going to be involved in making that decision. Okay. And then being able to sit back. And if that person happens to become the caregiver, it's a byproduct of the decision. So I always wanted the pressure off my daughters that I did not want them to feel that they were going to have to be a caregiver for their brother. I wanted them to be involved in decision-making, but not necessarily the caregiving. Okay. Two very distinct roles. So, but again, we, we had a family in here. And that's kind of why I give my example, because that was relatively a simple Correct. Know, scenario. Yeah. Correct. So go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, and, and, and you take our kids that have a lot more, they're a lot more medically fragile. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, you've got these parents that are just 100% in tune to the caregiving. And I have to sit back and tell these families is that there's nobody that's going to do the caregiving like you. And, and, and it's, a, and it's a sad wake up call, except until I get to the one spot. Is that when I take a look in general at our individual special needs, what I see is a general happiness and peace with themselves and who they are in general, okay, that the parents who have all the stress of worrying, they don't have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I again, as much as I worried about my son, you know, heck, I felt like I could probably put him out on Euclid. He can come back a week later and he was going to be okay because he was very good at, and effectively manipulating others to get his needs met. Okay. So mom, you're a lot more overprotective maybe in your child's medical care, but maybe it doesn't need to be that overprotective. Okay. So, and again, my son was going to let people know when his needs, what his needs were going to be. Didn't he didn't have to have full communication you know, he could point in and out as long as he could see the in and out sign. And guess what? He wanted an in and out burger. Okay. <laughs> Reading? How can you not say a kid doesn't read one? He knows what in and out is. He knows what McDonald's is. Yeah. <laughs> That's reading to me, you know? So, again, it, it, it sometimes it boils down to perspective. It boils down to thinking. But the sooner we start the path of planning, the better off we are in terms of being able to make changes because that is still the only thing that's constant in life is change. Okay. Well, well, good. That's good to hear because that's what I was wondering. You know, is there benefits to starting earlier? I think so because you're in in tune with it. You're in tune with it as part of the process that just like who my son's doctors were, this planning is as as much as important as, you know, who his doctors are, who is, you know, so. Well, that must bring a a certain amount of peace to the parent as well, knowing that all of these things are kind of, you know, and there's probably never going to be good enough, but at least you're going to have a majority of, of those right. questions so, answered. Right. Addressed. So again, if, if I've got a kid who's who's five years old, you know, the word SSI may not come into play into their life till they're age 18. So I'm still kind of gearing up for what I'm going to be prepared for at age 18, even though the rules, again, when James was young, there was no such thing as an ABLE account. 
There was really the dynamics of the widespreadness of this in-home support service wasn't readily out there. The Medi-Cal limits of $2,000, those were there. Again, so everything changes and we have to be molded to be in tune with change a lot more than, because again, I still had to come back to that reality. And again, all again, all of our kids are going to be different. But, you know, I realized that, you know, James was probably going to have to depend on somebody else for probably 85% of his needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's, that's a very, you know, that's, again, that's a lot. Okay. And again, I see other families where maybe that percentage is down a little bit more than that. Or you see families where somebody's going to have to have intervention for 95% of what that needs are for existence. Well, let me step aside for a moment and you and Eric can have a conversation because, you know, Eric's, Eric's living this reality. You know, he's uh, a young man of 35, but you know, he's got special needs and he's, He's got his benefits that he's got intact now. And also, I'll just step aside, Eric, maybe you have some questions for Grady. Like, uh, let's say I have a retire- a retirement for after I retire. How will that um, uh, coexist with um, with Social Security benefits and uh, that sort of thing? Well, again, that's, a, that's a, a question that has a lot of different pretend like we're at a very large railroad station where they're changing cars, okay? So there's a lot of different tracks. So the general answer that I have, that as long as you're working today, okay, and you have that retirement plan, it may not be any issues. When you do go to retire, how you treat that retirement plan is going to be the key, all right? So let's assume you have a retirement plan that's going to pay you a check every month for $800 a month. The retirement plan won't be as much of an issue as taking an $800 a month check because that's going to be added to your income. And then again, the income is what's going to be measured for different things. Okay. So it would be measured for, you know, again, Medi-Cal purposes. It could be measured for, Um, If you're receiving any type of social security benefits due to the disability, not due to social security due to retirement. So it just has some, again, you kind of almost got to get out there, but because I see the world today and the way the world is described today compared to what it was is a little bit different. That's why it's hard to kind of pin it down. Okay. So, but again, if you're receiving social security disability right now, okay, and you're working, then that work is going to have a larger impact on your receiving Social Security because of your work. Again, unless you're getting job supports out there, then that changes the equation. So it just really, it's just, again, be aware of it. And because you're so young, the word retirement is very far removed from your world, unlike Dougie and I, Okay, then we have a little bit of a different impact. <laughs> now, now that we've become the old ancient mariners. <laughs> I know I'd like to have these talks, you know, today because one of these days I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the old uh, mariner and all that stuff one day too. <laughs> well, if if I if I take my current age and your current age, I shall be long gone and I will and not be remembering much of what I talked about, <laughs> you know, but, but again, it's, I mean, and, and that's where the ambition that I always look for, Eric, is that you do as much as you can on your own. And then we deal with the, the disability and the impact on that, the disability and the various things that could link over to, you know, everything just has to be measured. Um, and again, the, the first question that I would ask is, are you a regional center client? I used to be back in the old days. I'm working on getting back into it because Please do. I know, uh, re, re, regional, re, re. Is, regional, is, regional offers a lot uh, more than it did back then. Yeah, Eric, I will tell anybody who's been a part of it um, or and not active is to reactivate their their case because there's just a lot of safety nets out there. Okay, where and again, 
you know, like I said, you used to be. And again, that goes back to how generic our world is, um, Doug, that, you know, here you have my son who had where he was at here, who probably has less of a need, but yet there's that safety net for both of them. Okay. Because of their diagnosis and the fact that, but I would always sit back and, you know, try to reactivate that case, Eric, because it can open doors that you may not need today, but you may want tomorrow. Exactly, exactly, exactly the exactly what I was getting at there. And then uh, right back to where you were saying, you know, who's going to take care of uh, my loved one? You know, if I if I if I if I pass on, you know, early on in life, mm-hmm. I have these uh, conversations with my in laws to be all the time about my fiance who has autism. And my thing is, as long as I know that she's going to be okay, I'll be at peace even at the very end. Well, and that's where that word "okay" is very, very important. Okay, um, and and again, because as a parent, we're a lot more protective. I mean, I was definitely more protective over my son than I was my two daughters. Okay, I mean, they had their own but they have the ability to make mistakes on their own and try to recover. That was always my viewpoint. But with my son, he didn't have anybody to be, he didn't have that ability to get himself out of a jam. He was going to have to rely on somebody else to do it for him. Okay. So even though I know at a personal level, he didn't, wouldn't have a problem with anything, you know, but that was just his own nature. But again, because of the special needs is so wide and so spectrum, everybody's situation is very unique unto themselves, you know, but, but again, you, and again, I, I know the words that I hear from, from parents over the years in terms of, you know, mom and dad say, well, I'm going to live to be 150. Well, why do you want to <laughs> live to 150? Well, because I can make sure I'm going to outlast my kid. Huh. Okay. What's the converse of that? And you you just realize that there's a lot more fears as it relates to our kids of who's going to be there because the parent thinks that many times they have to, and, and a lot of times I see other families that are making very, very difficult decisions, decisions to have their child living outside the home and, you know, relying on others because, you know, they've taken that says that I'm not going to be there forever and I need to get that housing satisfied and situated in a different way. So you know, I feel like we could do a whole episode on this, yeah. this, this oh, yeah. concept where I feel like sometimes those parents, they, when they do so much, they don't, they never find out the capabilities of their special needs. Children. Well, in, 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 in Doug, I don't know about, well, I, I know some of your past. Okay. Yep. yep. But I was a firm believer that for the most part, you know, what's that? You know, you you take two steps forward, back one. Sometimes you take one step forward, backwards two. And I really do believe that you learn by falling, okay? You learn how to pick yourself up. You learn how to get there, okay? Literally and figuratively. Right, and that's why I said, I know know where your world's at, and you and I have had this conversation. But the bottom line is that I was so afraid to even let my son fall, we never gave them the ability to learn how to pick themselves back up because we were there trying to prevent it at all possible costs, okay? And again... I say that in a generic world, not specific to any situation right, right. Or, or world. And, and me too. Yeah, you know. So, but it, but it's but it, the, the the dynamic of it is just really really um, because we don't let them fall. You know, and yeah. again, sometimes you're worried about letting them fall, and then what do I do with that recovery process? Is the recovery process is going to be much more harder if I do have to get involved, you know, so. But, but also then you learn what your child's limitations are. Then, you know, you know, if you, te- if he tests his boundaries, right. then you know where you have to get involved and what his limitations are. You know, we had a guest last week, Carlos Maletta, who became disabled later in life. But in his conversations with me, when I met him years ago, he would always say, you know, the, the body can do anything. It's the mind that, you know, will give up first before the body will, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I think about that in the context of my life, 
you know, in just some of the conversation we've had here today, I, yes, I demonstrated over the course of my life that I could make a living for myself, live independently, all those things. Mm -hmm. I demonstrated that. So at any point in my life where I fell on hard times and I thought, well, maybe I can collect SSI. Nope. Boom. That door was shut in my face real quick. You know, they, I mean, it, it took no time whatsoever to see that I was not eligible for SSI, you know, cause I had already demonstrated that I could work and, and right. And take care of myself. But I met the criteria cause my, you know, that you're talking about today that I had the limitations at one years old. Right. You know, so if I could have very well take my parents, not me, you know, cause I didn't have the decision-making at that time, but, but my parents could have started me down that path of getting SSI and getting, you know, all, all those things through the government to take care of me for the rest of my life. But no, they chose to test my limits and, and, you know, and see what I was capable of. Correct. Well, and, 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 and this is where, you know, you, you, and again, that's my experience. I'm not saying that that no, 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 no. everybody I mean, can go it, through it, that. And 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 again, Doug, I I absolutely applaud that. And the one thing that again, keeping in mind, a lot of the individuals that we're working with are more on the cognitive development yeah. side, yeah. Um, the autism spectrum. Yes. Um, so, so again, you know, just to use that as as in in today's world your situation would not have qualified for regional center services based on your diagnosis. Now, if you'd had cognitive issues along with the physical issues, now that door has that ability to open. So I would sit back and tell you that for, for our perspective, we are, you know, probably 90% of the individuals and families that we see are a regional center client, we're dealing with the, the cognitive weaknesses, for lack of a better word. I don't even know what what's yeah, politi- yeah, politically correct anymore. Okay, um, so and that's where you kind of sit back and 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 see the differences. And that's where, again, even within the autism community, you know, there's there's such a spectrum that you know, again, you've got it at this end where you're going to have that individual who's going to develop, explore, whatever the case might be, to all the way to the other end where it's nonverbal, you're dealing with some mental health issues also, maybe some seizure issues, you know, so again, absolutely, yeah. you know, so that's where you kind of come back to, how did you get switched around like that, Eric, all of a sudden? Doug went from being on the top left to now he's on the bottom. What'd you do? Um, I, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I mean, you, I, mean you never, I mean, when it comes to technology, you know, you never know what features um, 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 can, uh, are are usable or what you can do with these certain types of features. I mean, I've been on the the Zoom world and the virtual world for five years now, and I'm still learning still all learning. there is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about it that still surprised me to this very very day. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Eric, before you ask your question, I just want to I want to let our audience know that's only listening because we only put this out as a podcast that we, we record this on a zoom call and then just take the audio. We don't use the, oh. the video. So when, when Grady's making all these references to what's going on. <laughs> so That's all right. That's all right. Though. I love it. So Eric, you had a question. Um, when it comes to autism, um, I'm still um, trying to unravel the mysteries and trying to understand the ins and outs of autism, just like in a Rubik's cube, but at the same time, like any other, a disability, no matter what the disability may be, it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, deal. Because, yep. like in some cases of autism, I could do an entire series on it. In some cases of autism, there are those that are, you know, low function or high function. Some are unable to speak. You know, some. Hey, you know, hey Eric. Eric, yeah. I got a question for you. This is something Shoot. a friend of mine said to me a long time ago. Because there's two yeah. two phrases that drive kind of drive me crazy. One's called low functioning, and the other's called high functioning. Okay. And right. a, fr- a friend of mine said to me, he says, hey, great. He says, give me your definition of low functioning. So I did. He says, now give me your definition of high functioning. I did. He says, so now what's medium functioning? Huh? <laughs> I was kind of sort of thinking about calling it a, um, um, a uh, kind of like an A and B type of uh, term instead of a high and low. Right. Well, and, and, and that's where, again, you, I have different wake, I had different wake up levels in my life at, at different times. 
So I had some preconceived notions when my little guy was young and this friend of mine, you know, challenged me and he says, great. He says, what are you very good at doing? So I gave him, he says, so in your work, you're pretty high functioning, aren't you? He says, what can't you stand doing or what do you stink at? And I said, well, ha handling tools and my, I'm all thumbs. He goes, so you're pretty low functioning when it comes to handyman work. I said, oh, yes, sir. So we all have our degrees of low functioning. We all have our degrees of high functioning and we all have our degrees of medium functioning. And what I have good. learned good over good. the years as a community within our special needs community, what do we try to help you do? We try to take what's not working with you and make it work rather than looking at what you do well and making that better. You know, so because that's what I do. I study so I can become better at what I do. I don't go anywhere near stuff that I don't want to know. I don't care to know. I'm not going to go read a yeah. handbook about how to use a tool. Why? <laughs> so it's like, it's like a subject matter, subject matter expertise. And it goes and it goes back to, you know, instead of uh, looking at what you can do, always focusing on what you can do. Right. And again, make what you do, be better at what you do and not care about what you can't do. So if you can't do something, either A, don't do it or find somebody to do it for you. Hello. <laughs> I don't like to do gardening. Guess what? I got me a gardener. <laughs> well, I, I, I think on that note, <laughs> I, we have... Thoroughly confused people, probably. Uh, <laughs> Doug, it is a thoroughly confusing subject. Yeah, and I think that's what it's comes across for folks. So that's and that's the point I want to make is is so so for people that are listening to this and thinking, you know, I'm coming away maybe with more questions than I had before. There's places to get those answers. Dignity Group is one. So definitely, we'll put you up on our website so people can contact you and and uh, start this conversation where needed. Um, what, what, what's the first steps people can take is saying, I need help. help. <laughs> well, it, it, and again, Doug, it's, it's, you got, you just got to realize that sometimes we just don't have that ability to get it figured. And, and the system doesn't have a menu that says, Hey, yeah. here's, here's your shopping list. Okay. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work that way. So, and I found for me as a parent that being involved with the different support groups, the greatest network of information I think came from other families. So yeah. another family I may have heard something about, but I got to do my own investigation to see if it's going to be something that was going to be applicable to me or to not, you know, but being able to work those resources and, you know, there's thoughts and opinions on a lot of different things, but, you know, I could sit back and have this conversation all day long and we don't have all day long or yeah. the next three weeks to have us all a conversation <laughs> about all this stuff. It's just, it's just, it's just a lot, you know? So, yeah. So better to get started than not do nothing. Yeah. Not I mean, do anything. Sorry. Again, let me figure out how this, this world of special needs with this special needs individual I have. And if I feel like I got something established, is it already, is it, is it been fine tuned or is there something I'm missing because I'm so stuck in what my existing world is. Okay. Trying to get yeah. through it. So. And here's an organization that has done a lot of that investigating. And, yeah, you know, you know so there's a bit of a short clip, short clip, short and, and, that, and, and, and that's what we try to sit back and yeah. look at is that, you know, we have certain experiences, but now those experiences also include sitting down with people and say, I don't want to tell you, I don't want you to tell me what I don't want to hear. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, you, you've got that other side. Yeah. And um, so it, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting ride. And, you know, we've been blessed with the families that we've been able to meet over the years. Um, the organizations that we've been able to be a part of. Um, and for that, I know that I'm very, very blessed. Um, and we do the best that we can. And, you know, sometimes we're, you know, most of our family situations, we're able to help. There's others that, you know, you, you, you wish you could do something and you just realize your hands are tied, Yeah. you know, as to what you can do, you know, so, you know, just kind of go from there. And I imagine if there are significant issues and a significant number of people file have, issues with those issues then you can start kind of getting the army ready and go make a change yeah again it's it, it, you create the general infrastructure and move from there yeah yeah all right well we we appreciate you taking the time 
uh, to come and talk to us about this this subject. I knew it was going to be kind of like this, where it would be it'd be complicated. We weren't going to solve anything today, but we got uh, hey, hey, Doug, to start. Don't you realize that talking with me is both a punishment and punitive? <laughs> I think I told somebody I got I've got Grady coming on. I'll just you know ask the first question and just sit back for 35, 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll put, like I said, we'll put your information up on the website and send everybody that way. So, All right, thank you. Eric, good to meet you. Thanks, Doggy. You too. Take care. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey guys, I'm Rick with my buddy Doug. Uh, welcome back. We had a really awesome show today. A lot of good information, right? And as promised, we handled it with dignity. <laughs> Very good. And we'll, we'll put their website up because it, uh, it's... It was so much information to kind of process and, and uh, digest all at once. So uh, if you're interested in, you'd like more information from Grady, we will put his uh, website, dig, uh, dignitygroup.com or org. I'm, I'll, I'll double check. I'll make sure I get it right on the uh, on the website. So thank you for listening today. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking with Bobby Rohan, which uh, if you listen to a podcast or watch, because they do it live on YouTube, Live to Roll. Uh, we're going to have him on. He's one of the hosts with Sean Fluke, who we had on a few weeks ago. Uh, he came in and talked to, uh, to us all about his uh, journey and also about his podcast. So uh, we're going to have Bobby on. And then there's a third member of that uh, group, Tom Conaway. We're going to have him on at some point, too. Uh, they're all great guys. And they, they they do some great topics from week to week. So if you ever um, get a chance, listen to them. Live to roll. Uh, they They've. Ah, well, I won't go into it. Just check it out yourself. They, uh, they're very, very interesting topics, you know, that are great for the disabled community. Let me put it that way. And Sean just got married. So uh, give him a shout out and, oh. uh, and tell him congratulations. Right. When are you getting married? I know you're, you got a fiance. I know I've been saying uh, less than uh, three years or more, but it all comes down to uh, uh, the amount of money to actually put on the wedding. Who's actually coming, how much food we need, where we're going to have it. Because so far, the only thing I've done is pick out my groomsmen and uh, do my wedding vows, which is some of the small stuff. Because it's best to get the small stuff out of the way first before going on to the big stuff. Yeah. So no no chances of eloping? Um, I won't keep you in suspense for too long because it took about eight years to propose. And it wasn't easy because when I proposed to my beloved darling, uh, we was walking in the woods up at Lake Arrowhead during my anniversary and the weekend of my birthday and here I am, you know, walking with her in the woods and looking at the ring, kind of going back and forth and asking myself, you sure you want to do this, man? Look at you. You're not getting any younger. Oi! And I look up towards the water <laughs> and I look up at the sun and I say, ah, what the heck? So I got down one knee, held on my walking stick with the other and then said, you know, we're going to have some good times. We'll have bad times. Some days will be greater than others. There's going to be some risk involved. But anyway, will you? And then she said yes. And then after we headed back to the cabin, we told the family, we had a little talk in the woods, and then I showed them the ring, and then they congratulated us, and we're so happy. <laughs> you're a lucky man. You you said you're not getting any older or younger, and you said, what the heck, in the same sentence before you proposed, and she still said yes. Good for you. Because <laughs> it was her brother that gave me the courage to ask to, to, to pop the question. I was going to ask her dad, you, you know, if the time was right or not, but he was sick at the time. And I said, man, I can't really bother him. But there's enough. So her brother was the next person I could actually turn to. Yeah. So you, uh, you put some thought into it. You had a ring ready. So that's good. And then her brother smiled and said, go for it. And I'm like, you want me to ask her up there, up there on the trip? He's like, yeah, go for it, man. I'm like, all right. I'm like, <laughs> oh man. Uh, very good. Very good. All right. Well, we'll wait for that news when the, uh, the date's going to be here. Hopefully, uh, We'll uh, be uh, around to uh, to enjoy it. All right, listen, uh, before we let you go, um, we're always looking for guests on here. So uh, just send us a message to warlive at walkandrolllive.com or you can go to the website for all the resources, by the way, and also let us know 
Or if you know somebody, you, there's a story that you think uh, should be told, needs to be told, we'd love to tell it. So uh, let's do that. And then, uh, uh, like I say, the resources. So we have a page. We'll put the Dignity Group on there for you. And it's full of resources, different organizations that have pro uh, programs and services for different organizations and uh, if you don't find what you're looking for, let us know and we'll uh, do some searching and get it up there. All right. Once again, thank you to Aguilar Professional Training for all their support. Eric, thank you. Have a great, great uh, week. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next time, folks. That's the way to cookie crumbles. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.